Good morning, Rabbi Isai. We'll take a look as much as we can understand the character of Esav and then try to understand how Yitzhak thought to give him a bracha. One of the characteristics we see by Esav is that initially he was Mavaz the Bechaira, and then all of a sudden later in life, when the brachas are being given, all of a sudden he's crying real tears that he's not getting the bracha. So what's shot in that? We know that there's a trait that some people are into instant gratification. Right now, the food's in front of them. This is what they want. And anything that's a barrier, they're going to overcome, they'll make fun of. But in the end, they suffer from it. And that's, of course, a very common human trait. Whether we want to invest and put off our desires for now in order to get an accomplishment in the future. And A7, this seems to have a failing. When Chazal tell us that what's the path a person should choose, they're giving us a very general approach to life. And Rav Shimon said, Harayas Hanoilat. Harayas Hanoilat is the opposite of Esav. It means the person, instead of seeing what's in front of him now, he takes in the big picture and he's looking to see what are the consequences of all my actions. In the secular world, sociologists tell us that they did an experiment called the famous marshmallow experiment. And that was, they took a few children in a uh, kindergarten, and the teacher tells them, we're giving everybody a marshmallow. And you can eat it right now. But if you wait till I come back in a few minutes, and you don't eat it now, I'll give you a second marshmallow. So now these little children are faced with a shayla. Should I eat the marshmallow immediately? Or should I wait and get that second marshmallow? So they had video playing to watch the kids. And he saw a lot of kids, as soon as the teacher was out, down the hatch. They're not waiting for anything. The Aesop. And some of them had the fortitude to wait. In the video it showed that actually one little child put her hands over her eyes. She shouldn't look at the marshmallow. She knew she was having a cyan. So she had to work at Shreya Seinai and make sure she didn't trap the marshmallow. So anyway, according to the uh, Times Magazine from 95, they track these children years later to see did this matter in their development and they found that the children that waited for that second marshmallow did about an average of 200 points better on the SATs together with a whole different uh, set of character traits that they felt was superior. So the Times Magazine finishes with the idea that this, the ability to delay gratification is a master trait that will determine a lot of our development. So when Chazal say Royas Hanoilad, we see this is Mamish going to be a very fundamental thing in life, and this is, it seems, what Esav is going to be lacking. And therefore, he's Vayivez Esav is now, and then later he's going, is crying. The second trait of Esav is that he comes back from the field, and he's tired. Now, if you look in the Midrashim, the Midrash paints the pictures, Ayef with Averis, he did horrible things then. The Sforno learns Kipshuto that he was very tired because he put his last bit of energy into his efforts in the field. And Yaakov is saying to him, saying, look, the Bechayr is not for you. Bechayr implies some spirituality, and you're a person who wants to put every bit of effort into your Parnas, into your Ishtadlus. That's not for Bechayr. There's a message for us also. The Maisa, most of us are going to leave yeshiva and be in the working world. And the question is, how much effort are we going to put in our yishtadlis for Panasa? And how much are we going to try to keep time for our learning, for our davening? 
And this goes into when you'll choose a path in Parnassah. For instance, my son, who was a proud alumnus of the Sishiva, when he was finished with Quell and he was thinking of a Parnassah, so he was thinking maybe becoming a lawyer. For law, you can get into law school without college, as long as you do well in your LSATs, which he had was the top 2% of America. And the problem was, I know he's a competitive young man, and if he'd go in, into law, he would want to join a prestigious law firm and make partner in a few years, which requires putting in 80 hours a week. And so what's going to be with your learning? What's going to be with your family? So the Maisie went into computers, and Baruch Hashem is Masliach there, which was at that time a nine-to-five job. Today, with, you know, after a pandemic, it's not exactly nine-to-five, but still, a few hours, you make a good panasa. So this is a choice that many people here are going to have to make. They want to be ayev. Do they want to go into a profession which will require yomam v'layla? Well, they're going to find the profession in umnis niki of akala. This is another trait that we have to take away from the Asaph. So he said, instant gratification and investing every bit of energy into Parnassah. Those are the two things that we can learn from Esav and that we have to be careful with in our own lives. Now let's take a look at Yitzchak. Yitzchak wanted to give the bracha to Esav. So there are three approaches to this. One of them is that it seems that, Esav was, that Yitzchak was fooled and there are Midrashim that say because he ate from the food of Esav so he Taka didn't have a realistic appreciation of who Esav was in addition to the fact that Esau was a very cunning person, he came, he asked all sorts of firm questions, and either separately, or some or Ben Bechayi puts it together, between the fact he was, uh, he had a sheichad from the food, and Esau is Sayyid Befiv, as far as his firm questions, so because of that, he didn't have a realistic approach of who Esau was. It seems, though, that Pshuto Shel Mikra supports the other approach, that Yitzhak very, knew very well who Esau was, because we know when Yaakov gets the bracha posing as Esav, and then Esav comes in, so Esav starts crying, Dad, don't you have a bracha for me? So what can I do for you? So he fetches out the bracha. But in the end of the parsha, when Yaakov is ready to go find the wife back to in Avram's uh, homeland, then all of a sudden Yitzhak gives him the most beautiful bracha, and that the Messiah of Avram Avinu should pass through him. So obviously Yitzhak knew who Yaakov and Yitzhak was. The question is, so why did he act so warm to, to Esav? So there's a mice with the altar of Slobodka, that the altar was makar a certain bach and treated him with a lot of covet. And one of the bachim went to the altar and says, I want you to know that this bach is fooling you, because he's really not so good. To which the altar said, he'll fool me today, he'll fool me tomorrow, and he'll keep on fooling me until I have him exactly where I want him. Meaning the altar is playing along because... Somebody once said, the only truth of flattery is that the flatterer believes you're worthy of flattering. In other words, if somebody butters you up, he might say a live sheker. But the fact he wants to butter you up means he holds that your opinion is important. And that's what Yitzchak understood. As long as Esav is coming to me with all his from questions, it means that Esav cares what Yitzchak thinks of him. And the male Yitzchak felt that I have a Pesach to be makar of my son with that. And that explains the second approach of Yitzchak, why he wanted to give the brachas to Esav, brachas that were primarily gashmiistic, in the hope that maybe Esav would be the zvulun to Yaakov's Yisachar. Now, it looks like it was very disappointing. It didn't happen. But the truth is, it did happen, at least one critical juncture in Jewish history. And that is 
when Antoninus and Rebbe paired together to save Torah Shabbat. We know that in about the year 200 in the Common Era, after the Romans had already destroyed the Beis Hamikdash in approximately year 70, and after the Beitar Rebellion of about 120 to 130, the situation in Eretz Yisrael was very dire. When Rebbe was born, anybody who did a bris mila to their child was subject to a death penalty. The Roman persecution was horrible. And then Pitaim, we find that Rebbe is living on top of the world. He has his own castle, his own palace, complete with a private zoo that sports rare animals such as white donkeys, like we know from the Gemara Brachas. So how did this happen? You know, like it wasn't that he invested in the Amazon in the beginning of the, the IPO. How did Rebbe get all this wealth? Living in a palace? The answer is, the Roman emperor, Marcus Aurelius Antoninus, was a chassid of Rebbe. And Antoninus enriched Rebbe and gave him the wealth and the prestige that he was able to gather together, call Chachma Yisrael, and work for decades on the Mishnah, thus saving Toshim Alpeh. So Yitzchak wasn't completely wrong. It, there would be a time where Esav would be the Zvulun, to Yaakov's Yisachar. The last approach is, I think, the most relevant for us here in Yeshiva, and that's the approach of Yaakov Galinsky speaks about in his beautiful work, Vigarita. And he says that Yitzchak was completely right that Esav was a tzaddik. But he was only a tzaddik when he was in the presence of Yitzchak. Sometimes you have a person who finds it difficult to hold on to inspiration or even to control his passions. But when he's in the presence of Adam Gadol, he sees clearly, this is what I want. I want to be like this Adam Gadol. And Rav Galinsky says, when Esau was by Yitzchak, Hitaka was a Kaddish Vitor. Hitaka saw in Yitzchak what life is all about, where he wanted to be. The problem is, when he left Yitzchak's presence, it evaporated. And with the same thing Rav Galinsky says when Moshe Rabbeinu later will say that the people should bring him bring me people to a point as the leaders of Klai Yisrael. So Rashi says that Moshe is saying, I can't appoint them myself because they'll come to me, they'll look like tzaddikim. So what's pshat? Moshe Rabbeinu was fooled so easily. So Rav Galinsky says the same idea. Many people came to Moshe Rabbeinu and in Moshe Rabbeinu's presence with tzaddikim will shleim him. But when they weren't by Moshe, they didn't hold on to it. And this is relevant to us. Because Baruch Hashem, we get up in the morning, we come to Davin, we're learning Torah, because part of the yeshiva. The question is, is it us, or is it the yeshiva? There's cause manri in the yeshiva, and we have chaverim, who also Davin, and who also learn, because it's the derech of a person to be nimshach acha sviv of the Lashna Rambam, in the world of sociology, we pick up on the social cues of our environment. So it's very easy in yeshiva to daven, to learn. The question is, what happens when we leave the yeshiva? What's going to happen when we go into another world? Are we going to be like Esav, that in the presence of the yeshiva, when we have shaykhs to the Rosh Yeshiva, to our Rebbeim, to the Mashkiach, to the Nile? So then we were good. But when we're not there, what's really us? And that's the shah that we should ask ourselves, the takeaway from the parsha: That if there's such a being as an Esav, who in the presence of Yitzhak was so good, but outside was so bad, what about us? How do we make sure we internalize the years in yeshiva 
that becomes not, well, these are the rules of the institution, but this is what I want, and I want it so internally that the rest of my life, I take it with me. That's what chinuch has to be. And that's what you have to think about every day in yeshiva. Have I gotten it inside, or am I just an asap? I'll eventually I'll work.